connections between names in the Bible are not taken to be coincidences. Thus, the similarity between the appellations Elihu in the book of Job and Eliyahu, the prophet in the book of Kings, between Elihu and Elijah should inspire us to ponder the similarities connecting these two individuals, but also the differences between them. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 250, Eliyahu, Elihu, and Eliyah. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In her biography of Moses Montefiore, Abigail Green describes the turning point in the life of the philanthropist and activist who became the most famous Jew of much of the 19th century. As a young man, Moses Montefiore was wealthy, religiously observant, but not devout. And then one evening, he had a vision of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. Green writes, quote, Every week after performing the ritual that marks the end of the Sabbath, the Montefiores, like all Sepharadim, read a hymn in honor of the prophet Elijah, whose task it is to announce the coming of the Messiah. On one such Saturday evening, Montefiore and Judith fell to talking about the good news of which this prophet's appearance was to be the harbinger for Jerusalem. What fun it would be, they thought, to visit Mount Carmel and see the very spot where Elijah had confounded the priests of Baal. Many years later, an elderly Montefiore showed his nephew Leonard a simple gold ring engraved with the Hebrew words Kone Hakol, meaning possessor of all things. Montefiore told Leonard how that night, I dreamed I saw in front of me a venerable man whom I knew to be Elijah the prophet. He pointed to Jerusalem, which I recognized in the distance, and said only those two words engraved upon my ring. I awoke and then dreamt this a second time and then a third time, each time hearing only the words Kone Hakol, and the dream made so strong an impression upon me that I resolved the very first thing I would do when I had time would be to go to the Holy Land, end quote. Kone hakol. This is our description of the divine in the thrice daily prayer that Jews recite. God, we say, is the creator of all, therefore the possessor of all. Montefiore and his wife did indeed journey to Jerusalem, and there Moses Montefiore made a commitment that would guide his life. He pledged, quote, I humbly pray to the God of my forefathers, my God, the one only true God, to grant that I may henceforth become a more righteous and better man, as well as better Jew, and that I may daily be more deserving of his abundant mercies, that I may, to the end of my days, be guarded and directed by his almighty providence, and when it pleases him to take me from this world, may he graciously receive my soul, pardon and forgive my iniquities, support and comfort my dear, dear wife. This day I begin a new era. I fully intend to dedicate much more time towards the welfare of the poor and to attend as regularly as possible on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday synagogue, end quote. This is Moses Montefiore, the man who made a promise to God to observe the faith, and so he would, walking every Sabbath from his house in Mayfair to his family's Sephardic sanctuary, the Bevis Marks Synagogue, in the city of London, to the east. But Montefiore's loyalty to God was also made manifest in his loyalty to his people. He would fearlessly travel around the world to the courts of kings, seeking to enhance the safety, security, and well-being of his Jewish brethren everywhere. This man who lived in 99 Park Lane in Mayfair keenly felt the suffering of Jews in Syria and Tsarist Russia, traveling to Cairo, Rome, Constantinople, Vilna, and elsewhere in order to sustain and protect Jews. Most famous was the Damascus Affair, where following an evil blood libel, Montefiore traveled to Egypt to ensure the release of Jews from prison, and then, believing that this was not enough, he then proceeded to Constantinople to get a firman, a declaration from the sultan, that denounced the blood libel itself. All this began with a vision of Elijah, of the prophet whose Hebrew name he would pronounce every Saturday night in prayer, Eliyahu. 
to dedicate oneself to God, but also to do what God asks of us, among which is to feel the pain of others. This is at the heart of Montefiore's transformation. This is the core of the tale of the prophet named Eliyahu, and also, as we shall see, of that of another mysterious man from the book of Job named Elihu. The names Eliyahu and Elihu sound alike, and therefore we cannot resist comparing a man who suddenly appears in the book of Job to the prophetic person whose name is so similar to his. Throughout the book, the suffering Job invades against the state of the world, asserting that God has brought into being a mortal humanity with a hopeless existence. Job's three friends attempt to convince Job that he must be suffering for some terrible sin that he has committed. Job, in turn, defends himself against their accusations. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a man who was not mentioned thus far appears. Chapter 32, verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. What has aroused the ire of this man named Elihu? As the book of Job explains, Elihu is distressed by the way that Job is speaking about God, and therefore he seeks to respond to Job's accusation about the hopeless nature of existence. But, as we are informed, Elihu is also upset at the assertions of Job's friends and seeks to respond to them. Verse 3. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. Elihu, in other words, is about to defend the honor of God, but he is also about to defend Job. Indeed, Elihu emphasizes to the three colleagues that though they, the friends, are senior in years, their immediate instinct to suggest that Job was sinful was entirely unwise. Verse 6, And Elihu, the son of Barachel the Buzat, answered and said, I am young, and you are very old. Wherefore I was afraid, and darest not show mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgments. Therefore I said, Hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Who is Elihu? We are not quite sure. He has apparently been listening to the conversation between Job and his friends, but when did he arrive? And what is his connection to Job in the first place? We are not told in the text, and we instinctively, therefore, think of another mysterious individual whose background is largely unknown and who appears and then disappears in a somewhat mysterious way. And that is the prophet Elijah, Eliyahu, whose name is not only similar to Elihu, but who, as Rabbi Yaakov Medan points out, is the prophet known for his zealous dedication to the honor of God. Indeed, the Sephardic prayer that Montefiore would have said every Saturday night after Shabbat would have described Elijah, Eliyahu, as Ish Asher Kine Leshem Hakel, the man who was zealous for the name of God. That's the prophet Eliyahu. And here in the book of Job, we suddenly meet a man named Elihu, who is also zealous for the honor of God. For the several chapters in which he speaks, Elihu responds to Job's complaints by expressing what God himself will soon say to Job. That God, to utilize the phrase from Montefiore's dream, is Koneakol, the creator of all, and his ways are inscrutable. Thus, Elihu says in chapter 36, verse 22, Behold, God exalteth by his power, who teacheth like him? Who hath enjoined him his way, or who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? Remember that thou magnify his work which men behold. Every man may see it, man may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. 
neither can the number of his years be searched out. For he maketh small the drops of water, they pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. Also, can any understand the spreadings of the cloud or the noise of his tabernacle? Behold, he spreadeth his light upon it and covereth the bottom of the sea. So Elihu says, and in an earlier chapter, Elihu makes the case that our awe at the Almighty, creator of all, possessor of all, should inspire us to trust in him. 35.13 Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. Although thou sayest thou shalt not see him, yet judgment is before him, therefore trust thou in him. Thus, Elihu defends the glory of God, but he also speaks out against the friends of Job who criticized Job himself. Chapter 32, verse 11. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Lest ye should say we have found out wisdom, God thrusteth him down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. And then we are told of the three friends' reaction to Elihu. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. We are meant to envision, ladies and gentlemen, in our mind's eye, these three colleagues of Job, apparently great men of that society, suddenly silenced by this zealous young man who finally, finally makes it clear to them that in responding to Job's complaints by telling Job that this was all due to Job's sins, they had been foolish, not wise, and had failed both as leaders in society and as friends because they reacted unwisely to Job's pain. Connections between names in the Bible are not taken to be coincidences. Thus, the similarity between the appellations Elihu in the book of Job and Eliyahu, the prophet in the book of Kings, between Elihu and Elijah, should inspire us to ponder the similarities connecting these two individuals, but also the differences between them. As Rabbi Yaakov Medan points out, both men defend the glory of God, but Elihu also defends Job, and this point, I think, is deserving of elaboration. In Job, Elihu is connected to God, but also to man, whereas Elijah Eliyahu initially does not defend Israel. As we have seen in the book of Kings, Elijah fleeing King Ahab comes to Mount Sinai, where Moses once defended Israel, and God asks him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah says, though it is the king and queen that seek his life, Elijah criticizes all Israel. At that moment, as we study together, God appears to Elijah through a still, small voice, symbolically, as we suggested, asking Elijah not to criticize Israel and to continue ministering to Israel. But Elijah, after this revelation, merely repeats what he had said previously. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. At this point, Elijah, Eliyahu, is told by God to seek a replacement for himself, to find, in other words, someone who will be more empathetic with imperfect Israel. But as we have seen, ultimately, Elijah, Eliyahu, does not die, and the book of Kings is not the end of his story. He ascends to heaven in a chariot of fire. Strikingly, when we turn to the last verses of the prophets to the prediction of Malachi describing the ultimate return of Elijah to announce the redemption, the harbinger for which the Montefiores prayed every Saturday night. In that verse in Malachi, the Hebrew name of Elijah, which should be Eliyahu, is spelled without the final letter, Vav. 
thus leaving Eliyah. The rabbis cryptically remarked that this last letter was being withheld from Elijah until his ultimate return to announce the redemption. The point, perhaps, is that the letter Vav is often placed at the beginning of a word in Hebrew to connect it to the previous one. It is called the Vav HaChibur, the connecting Vav. And following his ascension in the chariot, Elijah amongst the Jewish people becomes known as the prophet who is connected to his people, who witnesses the loyalty of the Jewish people throughout the centuries. Thus, he is the one for whom a chair is prepared at circumcisions because he is described as visiting those celebrations and testifying to Jewish faith. Elijah, Eliyahu, thereby becomes the prophet who is still zealous for God, but is now also zealous for the honor and glory of the people to whom he ministered. And it is therefore no surprise that such a man could inspire Moses Montefiore to rededicate himself to God and also to those that were in pain among his people. Today, in the Bevismark Synagogue, Montefiore's chair is roped off, kept empty since his death in honor of the man who once occupied it. The chair has remained largely empty for over a century, but its very emptiness proclaims a presence, much like the chair of Elijah, the prophet who inspired Montefiore to change his life. Elihu, the man who defends God and who also defends Job from his friend's attacks, slips from the scene and is never heard from in the Bible again. But his name inspires us to ponder another whose name is like his, a prophet whom we have a right to hope that we will see again very soon. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.